Welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I'm the founder and CEO of Mara Poling. And today we're going to be discussing single family rental pitfalls. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't be successful having a single family rental portfolio or even just one single family rental. But what I want to share today is lessons we have learned from not only our own experiences uh, in the single family rental space, uh, but in particular from feedback we've received from individuals that are in the single family rental space, some of the challenges they've had, some that they have recognized, and a few that are a little difficult at times for people to recognize they're actually dealing with a pitfall until they get a different perspective on it. And so with that, we're gonna go ahead and start in. No particular order for any of these, it simply happened to be the way that I uh, jotted some of the notes down. Um, depreciation. It is rather interesting how many individuals that own single family rentals, and by the way, I would include uh, duplexes and triplexes and fourplexes, so essentially the residential space. How many individuals that own residential properties do not depreciate them? They don't take advantage of that. Some of that comes from the fact that there's quite a few investors, individuals, owner operators that have single family rentals that do their own taxes. And uh, I admire you and commend you. And I did my own taxes for many, many years. And then because my life got a little more complicated tax wise, I ended up saying, all right, I guess I need to go pay a CPA. And when I paid that CPA that very first year, not only did I save significantly more than it cost on that year's taxes, but they went back and looked at my last couple of years in taxes and saved me thousands more. And from that point forward, I said, obviously, I should be having a professional do my taxes, not myself. So however you choose to do that, depreciating an asset that you're investing in is one of the key benefits of real estate investing. You don't get to do that with the other kinds of investments that you could have, like a bond uh, or a stock position uh, or a commodity, right? You buy some gold, you don't get to depreciate the gold. So you should take advantage of that. Now, if you want to do straight line depreciation, that's great. That makes a lot of sense. It's uh, simple to do, right? It's straight line. There's simply a little bit of math that's involved in it. Uh, it's easily supported from a documentation standpoint, uh, and you'll get real value out of it. You can do something akin to our cost segregation. Cost segregation studies are expensive, and I would encourage you to talk to your CPA, the one I just recommended you might want to go get if you don't have one, uh, that you talk to your CPA about how you might use a cost segregation methodology uh, if that's something you think that's of interest. Uh, I have chatted with many individuals, um, some who have been giving up by not using a depreciation methodology, either straight line or um, uh, cost segregation, uh, have been giving up 10, 20, 30, $40,000 a year or more in write-offs that they could have been using to protect the income that they experience. So um, if you're going to go into the single family or residential space, uh, get yourself an accountant and talk to them about depreciation. Uh, make sure you check that, uh, that box. That's 
absolutely a lesson we have uh, that we have learned. Um, next, um, inspections. You want to inspect your property on a regular basis. In the assets that we invest in, that Mara Poling invests in, we visit our assets, the interiors of the assets, um, quarterly. We're going to go out and uh, for a variety of reasons, there may be a work order, right? Uh, a tenant may call and say, you know, I've got a got a faucet that's leaking or my toilet's running I, I think the toilet valve maybe needs to be replaced or whatever and we'll we'll go to do that uh, that work order and that not only gives us a chance obviously to service that uh, that tenant and make sure that they're satisfied uh, but it puts us inside the unit if we don't have work orders uh, there's filters that need to be changed on a regular basis and so that's another reason we would be in a unit um, and uh, as a landlord, you have the right in your lease, and please, you should be using a lease. Uh, uh, handshake agreements don't work. Please make sure you've got a lease. Uh, and whether it's a form lease or a lease that you had an attorney draft for you, there should be language in there that says you have the right to enter the unit uh, under a couple different conditions. One usually being providing simply a certain amount of notice, it might be 24 or 48 hours or something. Uh, the other is in certain emergency conditions, uh, you'd have the ability to uh, to enter the unit. Uh, but you can schedule an appointment uh, to go into the unit, or you can go in to do some of the routine maintenance I just mentioned. And when you're in the unit, you now have an opportunity to inspect the unit. What are you looking for? You're looking to see if the tenant is holding up their end of the bargain, right? The basic deal is I'm going to give you a place to live you're going to one, pay me, compensate me for that, and two, you're gonna take good care of it. I'm gonna do my piece of maintenance that I need to do, which would be things like fixing the toilet if it doesn't work and maintaining the roof and other uh, parts of the property. Uh, but you're gonna do your piece, which means you're going to not damage the unit, you're gonna keep it clean. Uh, now, you might wonder, well, what do I care if it's clean or not? Obviously, if it's not clean when they move out, I get a, I've got a security deposit and I'll charge them to clean it and so on. And, and that's true. You've got that particular protection. Uh, but uh, dirty units uh, will lead to uh, pest infestations. And in particular, if you're talking about a multi-unit property, right, so a duplex or a fourplex, uh, you now not only have an issue with the one tenant, but you have it with others. Uh, it is amazing to me how many owner operators do not visit their properties. Many feel as though they're imposing on their tenants as though it's the tenant's property and they, they have to ask permission. You do not have to ask permission. It's your property, you own it. Uh, again, review your lease to make sure you're accessing the property in accordance with the agreement you have, but you should be inspecting the unit and you should be going in on a regular basis. If in doing so, everything looks great, fantastic. If there's an issue, uh, and it could be, as I said, it could be the level of cleanliness in the apartment, it could be damage, it could be the number of tenants. You've, you've leased your unit to two individuals and you go in and find four beds uh, that are clearly being used, uh, then there's an issue there and, and you wanna get that, uh, that addressed. So you wanna make sure you're inspecting your uh, your units. Uh, all of these, by the way, all of these are items that if you look at 
the way uh, we manage our commercial size properties, 100, 200, 300 unit properties, we're addressing all of these items in terms of how we manage these assets. You should be doing the same. There, there is no difference on these items between a 400 unit multifamily property that's in the Mara polling portfolio and your portfolio of two single family rentals. Um, so uh, inspect on a regular basis um, and depreciate the asset, take advantage of the tax opportunity that's there. The, uh, the next one, and these, there's two here I'm gonna talk about together because uh, they're linked, is around uh, maintenance uh, of, the, uh, of the asset. And uh, some of this is dealing with the larger items and then some of it's with some of the more routine kinds of things. So let's start with the big items. Um, your property has a roof and roofs are not inexpensive. They last a long time, right? If you put a brand new roof on a property, uh, you're gonna be looking at not just a five or 10 year uh, return on that, you're gonna get 20 years out of that roof, uh, potentially even, uh, even more. Uh, so that's a great long-term investment. If your property's 20 years old or 30 years old and it still has the original roof on it, you're probably gonna be putting a roof on pretty soon. So you need to be preparing for that, whether it's taking dollars that are coming uh, from the rent the tenant pays and beginning to set some of that aside so you're ready for that day, or whether it's simply making sure that you have sufficient capital cash sitting around waiting for that. Um, because a brand new roof isn't anything you're gonna be able to charge the tenant for. Uh, tenants expect the roof to not leak, and that's a very reasonable expectation. And I'll go way out on a limb and say the community that you live in, there's laws that say you have to give them a place where the roof doesn't leak. Um, so, uh, so you're not gonna recover any of that money uh, by some increase in rent. It simply is addressed by virtue of the fact that over a long period of time, if you rented that property for 30 years, a portion of the rent that you are recovering every year is gonna need to be set aside to cover things like roofs, uh, HVAC units, HVAC units don't last forever. Uh, you might be fortunate and get 20 years out of a unit. It's also possible that you might only get 10 or seven uh, and or you might have a unit that simply has uh, some some issues that ultimately maybe aren't covered by warranty and they're not really replacing it, but you're continually doing maintenance on it on a regular basis. So when you are planning your uh, capital investment for this asset, you need to be thinking about either setting money aside up front or setting money aside along the way for these larger maintenance items that are clearly your responsibility. Included in that would be items that maybe aren't um, something you would think about or that you would normally envision happening and that actually might not occur during the time frame that you own the property. For example, uh, an issue with the sewer line. Um, if the property is well-maintained, if you don't have any invasive uh, vegetation, trees and the like, you may never have to do anything to your waste system. It may just work and it works fine continually. If something happens though, you might suddenly find yourself with a $3,000 bill to repair that. You absolutely have to repair that. It's your responsibility. 
and you need to know where those dollars are coming from. So having some kind of an emergency fund that you can draw from. We maintain cash reserves uh, for those uh, kind of unknown situations, and we forecast capital, right? We forecast dollars to deal with things like roofs and HVACs. Now, this is one of the places where scale makes this a little easier. Uh, if we've got 100 units, that's 100 HVAC systems. Well, that means the likelihood of us having an HVAC problem is 100 times the likelihood you will have it on one single family rental. But that's actually a positive for us. And the reason why is we can then forecast with a pretty good degree of accuracy how much HVAC work we'll need to do every year. And we simply budget that amount of money into our program, uh, whether it's on the expense side for repairs or on the capital side for replacement uh, of parts or units or whatever it might happen to be. So when you're dealing with the small volume of a single family rental or residential size properties, you need to be prepared for an eventuality that may not happen this year and it may not happen for several years. But if you had a HVAC issue and a roof issue and a out of the blue left field issue with your sewer or waste system, and those all happen within 18 months of each other, how would you deal with it? And if you can't answer that question, then that's something to put on your things to do list as to how you would address that. Now, the other side of maintenance is what I would describe as the routine maintenance. Uh, and that's gonna include uh, items like, um, we talked about filters and um, uh, the uh, maintenance of the property, like landscaping, uh, those kinds of uh, those kinds of items, uh, cleaning the gutters uh, every um, uh, every fall, uh, and so on. Now, some of these you might uh, the answer to your question, and this is a common answer I get when I talk to folks about this. Uh, the answer to that might be, oh, I don't have to do those. The tenant's responsible for those items in my lease. Well, that's great if the tenant does those things. Uh, it's very common. I was actually chatting with somebody just this week who said, yeah, my tenant's responsibility uh, is responsible for the landscaping, but they also pay the water bill. And so they want to lower their water bill. So they stopped watering my lawns and my landscaping and everything died. Well, that's not an insignificant investment. Landscaping is expensive, not just turf but plants and all the rest of it uh, the replacement cost to put all that back in place is high and again that's one of those items that inspections right if you're going to the property on a regular basis and you see that happening you can go to them and say nope right here in the lease it says it's your responsibility to maintain that and maintaining it doesn't mean letting it die so you can save 10 bucks a month on the water bill now one of the ways you can deal with items like that is to not have the tenant be responsible to simply say uh, this is this is uh, this is your responsibility, and here's how we take care of that. I hire a gardener. I pay them $150 a month to do all these things, uh, and you are going to pay that because I'm going to add 150 bucks a month to your rent. Uh, now, some tenants uh, may then try and negotiate with you and say, "Well, I'll do it. Okay, fine, but I'm going to come by every month, and if it's not meeting my standard, I have the sole right at my discretion." to have a gardener come in and you're gonna pay that bill. Uh, and you wanna work all that out in advance so it's very clear around those things. Filters are another, right? The, 
the tenant, I don't want you in my home. One, maybe I just don't want you in my home. I'm just a privacy oriented person and I'd rather you not come in. The other is, I know I'm gonna be doing things that I don't want you to see, whatever that might happen to be, whether it's uh, not in accordance with the lease or potentially even activities that are uh, borderline legal. Uh, I don't want you in my home, so I'll do the filters. I would personally never agree to that. Uh, I would always wanna be able on a regular basis without having to ask permission, just by virtue of, hey, it's time, it's filter time, I'm gonna come by and do some routine maintenance to go in and visit the unit. Again, going back to our suggestion that you inspect on a uh, regular basis, okay? So to summarize, take advantage of the depreciation you can, uh, that's available to you in the rental uh, real estate space. It's uh, something that you don't get elsewhere in the investment world. So depreciate that asset. Two, uh, inspect on a regular basis. Make sure you can get into the unit, whether it's through the lease and providing notice, or whether it's by virtue of some of this routine maintenance that we've described, but inspect the unit on a regular basis. Three and four, make sure you're addressing maintenance. Your responsibility in terms of some of these larger items and any items that are routine, and in particular, if the tenant's gonna be responsible for those, make sure that you've structured that in a way in which you are ensuring that they're uh, holding up their end of the bargain, and if they're not, that you've got a way to deal with that. The final item, and I left this as the final item because it's the uh, most significant that we run across, and this is the one area where uh, many individuals that are in that single family rental space don't actually realize that they're experiencing this, and that is about moving rents, about raising rent. So. You have a single family home that you're gonna rent. Uh, you're doing it for the first time. This might be a home maybe that you've lived in. You bought a new home and moved out and you're gonna rent this. It's also possible that uh, it's a property you purchased specifically with the intention of renting it. And you may have bought it and there's renters already in it. But a time will come when the property is empty and you're gonna be putting a new tenant in. So you're not burdened by what someone was paying previously you're gonna go out and being the good landlord that you are, you're gonna go out and do research on what rents are for that size property. Maybe you've got a 1800 square foot, uh, three bedroom, uh, two and a half bath ranch style home. And in your community, that's renting for $1,500 a month. So you're like, wow, great. So you put an ad out in whatever, format you want, maybe you go on Craigslist or wherever it might be, and you get yourself a good quality tenant for $1,500 a month. And a year later, they say, we're happy here. And you go, yeah, you've been good tenants. We'd like to stay another year. There's an awful lot of single family owner operators that will say, oh, great, stay and I won't raise your rent because there's a great fear of having that unit be vacant. And at the end of that first year, maybe that is the right decision. Uh, who am I to tell you or suggest to you that it's not the right decision? But let's carry that out year after year after year. And you get five years down the road. So now you've got someone that's been in your home for five years. They're paying $1,500 a month. 
the market for that, in other words, if they moved out and you went and rented that unit to a brand new tenant, the market might be $1,800, and they're not paying anything near that. And now what do you do? Do you, do you go and raise rents? I hear many, many property owners that, one, don't want to raise rents because they don't want the unit to be vacant. But more often than not, I don't want to raise the rents because, well, they're nice people. You know, I want to help them. That's a wonderful thing that you want to help them. Does that mean that you should be taking less for your unit than you can get elsewhere if you invested it? Or, oh, that's an awkward conversation. Gosh, they're so upside down. They're only paying 1500 and the market's 2000 That's such an awkward conversation for me to have. I appreciate that. That could be an awkward conversation. So here's a couple suggestions. One, you might simply consider writing that into the lease up front, that, every, that it's a one-year lease, uh, and then when it comes renewal time, it, give them the option that uh, if they're in good standing and would like to renew, or give your, maybe there's some language in there where you have some uh, right of uh, refusal where you can say, no, you can't renew, but you could bake in there an increase. And you could simply say, uh, rent's going to go up $100 every year. Uh, and, and I'll sign a lease for some length of time where you can do that. Uh, now, if it gets to the end of that period of time and they say, gee, $100 is too much, how about 75? You could negotiate it down, but you could write it in up front. That's one way you could potentially deal with it. And then it's not an issue for you. Another, and this is the most common way I have seen people deal with it, is uh, take yourself out of the loop. Hire yourself someone uh, not necessarily a property manager, right? So it might not be someone who takes over the entire process of managing the property, but you could hire someone who simply is gonna be the go-between to negotiate lease uh, terms and so on. And then if they pick up the phone and call you and say, hey, what's going on with my rent? Say, yeah, you know what? The property manager I hired, that's their job. You should be talking to them about that. Um, and if they're doing that, then they're going to raise the rent at the end of that first year. And you might say, well, but wait a minute. If I have a vacancy, that's going to be a huge issue. Okay, let's say you have a vacancy and you go one entire month where you don't have a tenant. So that's $1,500 that you're out. But in the example I just laid out, over the course of time, you've lost $1,200 in one year, $100 a month. You've lost $2,400 the next year, 200 a month, you've lost 3,600 the next year, you start adding those up, you're talking about losses of five or six or eight or $10,000, all because you wouldn't move rents. So have a strategy around have, how you're gonna manage rents that you're comfortable with. If you wanna have tenants move in and stay at a certain rent and not raise it, that's fine. Do the math and make sure you understand how that actually works because uh, again, I have spoken with lots of folks that when you do the math, uh, they are leaving thousands and thousands of dollars on the table, uh, and we hate to see anybody not get the full benefit of the investment that they have made from that standpoint. Now, as I mentioned, we have processes in place that address all of these items in our portfolio. Uh, by the way, if you'd like to learn more about that and how our portfolio works in this space, uh, you can shoot me an email, pat at marapolling.com, M-A-R-A-P 
P-O-L-I-N-G.com. And I'd be happy to answer questions you've got, or we could find some time to hop on the phone. If you are a single family uh, rental owner, an owner operator, or you've got some residential properties, duplexes and fourplexes, and you'd like to learn a little more about how you might address some of these issues, maybe one of these really uh, hit home and you're like, yeah, that's something I ought to work on, more than happy to chat with you about that. If as you've listened to these things and you're not in that residential space uh, and you think, wow, those sound like a lot of challenges, uh, then you might be interested in investing in a commercial portfolio like the Mara Polling Total Return Fund. And obviously I'd be happy to chat with you as well about how investing in a larger scale fund that's professionally managed addresses these uh, specific uh, items. There's some more educational content about this on our website, marapolling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. And as I said, you're always welcome to shoot me an email, pat at marapolling.com. I hope you found today's session valuable and that you'll join us again next week for multifamily real estate investing presented by Mara Poling.